0: If we just get rid of all these labels and get rid of all this tribalism and just simply come come down to, like Paul says in Corinthians, I'm not of Apollos. I'm not of Peter. I'm not of Paul. We're all of Christ. It's got to start there, and I think until we do that, we're never going to have any unity, and we're never going to really be able to focus on just seeing people as people.
1: guys, welcome back to another episode of the Can I Say This at Church podcast. Our guest today is Keith Giles. He is a former pastor living in California uh, who left his pastoral job to create a house church in which they are able to give away 100% of their monies uh, to the homeless, to people that need help. He wrote a book that I think is so timely in the country that we live in right now and in the, the period of the world that we're in right now. The title is Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. I will not lie to you. This interview will challenge you. Uh, it will make you question where your loyalties lie. Uh, and if you follow us on Facebook, you will have seen this before. It is hard, at least I think it is very hard, to be a Christian and a nationalist. And when I say that, I mean American, patriotic man, let's ready to rock and roll. It's hard to be both of those at the same time. You have to choose. And so this conversation is specifically about untangling our faith in Jesus from a political party and realizing that the two have a purpose to serve both of those purposes are are worthwhile and can be used for so much good but when we conflate them there are many many pitfalls and and problems that arise and so let's let's get into it Well, um, my guest today is Keith Giles. Keith is the author of a of a new book that came out this this year. And if you're listening to this in 2018, that would be last year, 2017. Uh, titled "Jesus Untangled," The subtitle is "Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb," which is a fantastic book. I've enjoyed reading it, and. After all of your holidays are done, I would recommend you also go and read it so that you don't argue with your family over 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 whatever holiday happens to be coming. Uh, Keith, there's probably many people that are unfamiliar with you. So can you kind of walk us through uh, just kind of your background, how you came to do the work that you do now?
0: Yeah. So, uh, well, I'll try to do a quick version. You can stop me if I go too long. But, uh, yeah, I'm so... Uh, I am an author. This is like my seventh book. Uh, I was um, licensed and ordained in the Southern Baptist Church back when I was um, like in my early 20s in El Paso, Texas. Then my wife and I moved to California. We got involved in the vineyard movement. We helped to plant a church uh, probably about 15 years ago here in Orange County, California with some friends of ours. That was an amazing experience. Uh, We'd never planted a church before. You know, We'd always been on staff at uh, feel, kind of sort of filling roles, you know, and I've done everything except senior pastor. So um, children's pastor, music pastor, youth pastor, uh, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, we were part of this church plant here in Tustin, California that we had done for the first time. It was an amazing experience. Did that for about three and a half years. And then my wife and I felt the Lord calling us and our family to leave that church plant and start a new church. And that, and we prayed about it and we felt like that was the right thing. So we said, okay, God, we'll do that. And then almost immediately after we said, yes, God will do that. He said, a church that gives away all of the money to the poor. And we said, that sounds awesome, but how do we pull that off? Mm. And it didn't make any sense. And we were excited about it. I mean, I couldn't imagine. We were so excited about being able to tell people, that we were part of a church that gives away everything to the poor, that we don't keep any, not even a penny or anything, you know, not sound system, salaries, building, you know, donuts and coffee, nothing. Like all of it went to help the poor in our community here. And um, anyway, after praying about it for a while, we felt like the Lord was calling us to start a house church where I would, we would meet in homes and I would just get a job. So I did. And we left that church, started a house church. That was about 11 years ago. It's the best thing I've ever done with the word church on it. And, um, I got a job as a copywriter, writing marketing and advertising, um, just writing for ads, writing ads, uh, for technology companies. So yeah, I've been doing that and, uh, that's what pays the bills and then started writing books yeah, and, on various topics. And that's how I ended up doing this. So.
1: I don't know that I would have the courage to do what you're doing. I mean, I, I go to a church that, that one of our taglines are, you know, when you give dollars, we have no debt. So all the most uh, good, very good chunk of your money actually goes to missions. And, and I feel like we do okay at it. Um, and, and there's few churches that can say they have no debt, but, but to give it all away, that's, well, it's different yeah. than what most well, people do. <laughs> so,
0: well, you know why well, it's because like we, it doesn't cost anything to do just the way we're doing it. Right. So there's no one on salary, no one, uh, we don't pay, you know, we already have a house we live in, so we're paying rent anyway for our family to live here so it doesn't cost anything and so really uh, all the offerings that we received we're freely able to give that and, and what we've been doing so for most of that time what we did we were part of we, we started a church that was meeting at a motel uh here in Orange County and then we partnered with some other people to kind of pull that off so we were doing things like doing you know like bringing a bounce house for the kids, um, um, providing free groceries to families living in this motel in Santa Ana, um, helping people just as God would bring us people. We would help people, uh, you know, who are in financial need. Um, most recently we've started helping. There's a sort of a little tent city that's grown up around Anaheim stadium, which is only a couple of blocks from my house. I think five or 600 homeless people living in this kind of encampment, Mm. Um, up and down the riverbed there. And so we've been doing that uh, sort of house church has been focused on. And so those are the different ways we've been investing, you know, in in the lives of people around us. Yeah. And it's been amazing. It's just an amazing experience.
1: That sounds, that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. So, so the, the topic at hand, so why this book, uh, it, the, the title itself is is off-putting but it makes you want to bring it up but but why what 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 made you want to tackle this subject
0: yeah well you know it was kind of came out of my own personal experience so i i was raised in a very conservative christian home um i listened to rush limbaugh i was a member of the nra again i lived in texas so i owned a whole bunch of guns I I really did believe that to be a Christian you had to be a Republican that you couldn't be a, a Christian if you voted for Bill Clinton um you know uh, so I was I was really really my faith was really really entangled with conservative politics and and slowly over time it didn't happen overnight but God just started pointing out to me personally showing me all the ways my faith was so entangled with my political worldview that I couldn't separate the two of them. Um, and I think it, it's one of these things where, you know, you, you notice the, the the speck in your brother's eye before you notice the log in your own. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was actually talking to my parents who they still live in El Paso. I was talking to them over the phone and, um, and my dad made a comment about how a friend of ours who had just become a Christian, uh, after many, many years. So we're excited about that a family friend who had become a Christian. And then he made a comment that he didn't think she had a genuine conversion to Christ. And I said, oh, my gosh, what happened? Why, why don't you think she's really a Christian? And he said, well, because she voted for John Kerry instead of George W. Bush in the election. Mm. And he was dead serious. And and I said, Dad, you know, there's going to be, you know, Democrats and, and libertarians and, you know, socialists in, in heaven, right? Like, it's not just a heaven for Republicans, and but then but then in, in in sort of like noticing his entanglement with with politics and faith. I mean, I hung up the phone realizing, well, I I'm the same way. You know, I've I've had those same thoughts, and so anyway, God just started speaking to me about my own personal entanglements, and as I was realizing my own entanglements and kind of uh, separating those two things, I started noticing that that a lot of my friends were are also in that same boat. And anyway, I, I just felt like the Lord said to me that this was something I needed to write a book about. Uh, because, And there's a lot of good reasons why. And we can get into that, I guess, uh, as much as you want to. But yeah. there's, I think there's some good reasons why it's Christians need to untangle their faith in their politics.
1: Well, I mean, that's hard. I, I, I think probably 80% of the people that I talk with on Facebook or Twitter, well, I have two Twitter accounts. One that I can be myself on and the other that I— that <laughs> that I can, that I can show everybody. Um, but, but I feel like people are so afraid to let that go. And I don't know if it's the bias and the way that we're raised or, or fear of, of, of missing out on relationships because you know that you're going to be ostracized. So how, so let's get into that. What are some of the reasons or what are some of the entanglements that you see in in, in your writing, and 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 I guess in California, I'm also from Texas. I'm from Midland, Texas, and and so I can highly yeah. relate to that El Paso type of of mentality. Yeah. And I don't even need to vote. I'm just gonna double bubble this R and straight line right. voting. We're done. I don't even know who's yeah. running, but they're all that's right. It's all R's and we're good. That's right. So I,
0: that's exactly what I did. Yeah, I did that exactly for years. Um. Well, so here's here's why. Here's some things that I've I've, I've seen. That The reasons why I think this issue of entanglement is so important for us to address. I I typically describe it as the three D's. So one of them, I think, one of the biggest reasons why I think entanglement is a problem is division. That um, entanglement causes division in the body of Christ. And what I mean by that is, you know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul won't allow Christians in Corinth to divide over which apostle is their favorite. I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Paul, and Paul won't hear of it. He says, stop it, what are you doing? You know, Paul didn't die for you, Peter didn't raise from the dead for you, Apollos, you know, you're not, you know, we are all together, we all follow Jesus. Stop dividing over this issue. Now, if Paul won't allow Christians in Corinth to divide over which apostle is their favorite, why would we think that it's okay to divide the body of Christ over a political party or a candidate or an issue, but we do. I mean, I've I've spoken, I've been able to go and speak at different places. um, And I just ask people, raise your hand if either you have unfriended someone on Facebook or you have been unfriended by another Christian brother or sister on Facebook over a disagreement on political issues. Everybody raises their hand. Um, And so this issue of politics, it's it's causing division between brothers and sisters uh, in the body of Christ. And again, I don't think it's something that 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 should be allowed mm. like we shouldn't divide over this thing it's not something that, that we should allow ourselves to, to divide over so that's the first D is division uh the second one i believe it's a distraction i think that by focusing on politics rather than on the gospel it's distracting us from the one thing that really can make a difference in the world which is the gospel and and this is why i think it's also really important is that we so, for example, when I when I say to people that I don't think Christians should vote or I don't think Christians should be involved in politics. When whenever a Christian's response to that statement is to assume that what I mean is we should do nothing. Because honestly, that's what that's how they interpret that statement. Oh, my gosh, Keith, the only the only I hear this all the time. The only thing necessary for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing. Mm-hmm how can you say we should not be involved in politics? And I'm like, hang on. I didn't say do nothing. I said, follow the commands of Jesus. Do you think that's doing nothing? Well, see, it's because when I take politics away, in their minds, they've got nothing left, which says to me, you're not really uh, focused primarily on following Christ and preaching the gospel and living out the gospel. I believe that Jesus gave us the best possible way to transform this world and to make the world a better place. I, I understand that people that get, get involved in politics do so because they believe that they will make a difference and that by, that through politics, they actually can affect positive change in the world. I would actually say that that's the worst way to do it, that actually politics doesn't uh, bring these kinds of changes and improvements. But I believe the gospel does. I believe the gospel makes, first of all, you and me, says so has to start with us, people who, who love and forgive and serve and look like Christ. And then people around us, it transforms them into people who look and act and behave and, and, and serve and forgive like, like Jesus. That's the way we make the world a better place. And then I'll, I'll tell you something else. Once we start doing that and to start accomplishing that you can pass any law you want. You can be as, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what the laws are because you have people in, in the, in the society who are ruled by the law of Christ mm-hmm. and the law of love. So, yeah uh, the, the, anyway i think that by focusing on politics it distracts us from that mission which is the more important mission the, the, which is to live out the gospel and preach the gospel um so division distraction um and i think it's also a denial of our identity we are called ambassadors of christ and his kingdom um again by focusing on politics we, we're denying who we are in the world. We were meant to be agents of change in the world. We are meant to be representatives of Christ and his kingdom. In other words, we already have a king. We already have a kingdom. Uh, if anything, what I'm asking Christians to do is to be more patriotic for their country, which happens to be the kingdom of God. What I'm wanting is for Christians to be even more excited about their leader, who is Jesus, not the president, Um and so, so I think, again, by focusing on national politics of the country that we're born into, uh, we're denying who we really are, right? That we're not citizens of this world. We are strangers and aliens. We are passing through. We are looking for a city, not of this world, but is, that is from above, not built with human hands. Um, and those aren't just metaphors. They're not just cool-sounding words that we sing in, on Sunday morning in a hymn or something, that Jesus intends those things to be real and actual. We really do have an, a king, and we really do have a kingdom. We really do have an agenda and a leader, and a, uh, something that is higher, uh, you know, and above those things. And actually, I would add a fourth D to that list. The fourth D would be the Duns. Uh, you know, you may have heard of the Nuns and the Duns. Um, so, you know, there's this there's this trend that's been identified recently in the last several years, uh, with Barna Research, Pew Research, all these different uh, you know, uh, survey groups and things that have been done that the the evangelical Christian church in America is getting older, Mm -hmm. which means younger people are dropping out. And uh, a large percentage of those young people say that one of the main reasons that they're turning their back a Christian church in America is they're sick and tired of hearing political messages. Uh, One, one young lady uh, that I know told me at a coffee shop, she said, you know, Keith, I just got, I just want Jesus, but I stopped going to my church that I grew up in my whole life. Yeah, I just gave up that church because I I was sick and tired of hearing Fox News sermons every Sunday. I just wanted to hear about Jesus, but all they wanted to talk about was these political issues. Yeah, no. So for those, four, yeah, I'm with four you on I, that.
1: I'm with you on that. Yeah. That's that's the main. That's one of the reasons that I started this. Um, I went I went to Liberty and was in you know indoctrinated there with the moral majority, and that's the way it's got to be. Oh, yeah. And and the further yeah. I get away from that, I don't I don't know if it's age or if it's just distance but, or or years, but I don't, I don't know how I ever was attached to that, to that line of thinking. I don't know how I made it fit in the box that I live in. I don't, I I, I honestly don't know. Um, So what would you say to people that say, well, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to vote. It's a privilege. That's a freedom that so many other countries don't have. Um, When I hear you say Christians shouldn't vote, um, what would you say to people that say that, that you're just wasting that privilege that other, that you know veterans have fought and died for? And I hear that quite often.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, um, and, I, and I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say Christians shouldn't vote because I, I really don't want, I don't want the book to come across this way. And I don't want to come across this way. Like I'm, like I'm, you know, passing new rules for Christians or, you know, some new commandments. Mm-hmm. So that's not at all what I want. Um if you, you know, my conviction is that I don't vote. I, I don't see, I don't see that it's, um, I mean, frankly, just from a practical standpoint. Uh, and I talk about this in the book as well. There's a chapter in the book called Why Your Vote Doesn't Count, um, which looks at a studies done by Yale and Harvard and Princeton. And, uh, you know, just a plain writing on the wall. I'm sorry to say we in America do not have a government that is by the people, for the people and of the people. And surveys have been done where uh if if even a hundred percent of the American people don't want something to happen, Congress will still pass that law because the people that do want it, which are primarily billionaires and mega you know mega billion dollar corporations, they do want it they spend trillions of dollars you know uh in um, lobbying and then they get a return you know multiple ten a hundred fold uh after these laws are passed, so so we have we have a government that benefits the people with the most amount of money and leverage, which unfortunately is not you and me.
1: Right. <laughs> and yeah. so,
0: so I just think practically, my vote does not matter; it does not make a difference. Um, and and I would just want to say this: that if you think as a follower of Jesus that once a quarter or or once every four years you stand in a line, you go behind a curtain, and you pull a lever. And you think that's what Jesus has called you to do to have an impact on the culture?
1: Yeah, you missed I it. I think
0: he's asking way more of you than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you missed if that's if that's what you got when you read the Bible or the gospels, you missed. Right. You missed you missed it. So, what do you th- why do you think then that so many conservative, I would say fundamentalist evangelical Christians, the, you know, the well the state of Texas for lack of a better for lack of a better um pejorative um why do you feel like in a conservative Christian mindset and I would say I used to be this way I have my politics in some way or a direct funnel to Jesus or or I am the mouthpiece of God or this Bible means this and so you have to vote this way why do you feel like we are that way
0: well, uh, again I talk about this in the book, um it's not an accident. Um there have been several waves and movements throughout American history to uh, to purposefully entangle uh, conservative Christians with the Republican Party. And um and so I detail this in my book uh where uh, one of the times this happened was during the 50s. Um where there this is where we had this movement to you know put in God we trust on our money and to add one nation under God to our pledge of allegiance among other things mm-hmm. um where where Christian pastors were encouraged to preach sermons that were much more you know free market capitalism sermons uh and to downplay sermons about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and things like that and um and frankly, it worked you know. And then, of course, during during the moral majority years, which is when I was growing up uh, with Reagan, and I talk about this in the book as well, um, there was another uh, effort to mobilize Christians in America to vote a certain way for a certain party that that stood for quote unquote Christian values. But Christian values uh, under that umbrella, you know, that have been very narrow. In other words, Christian values just to be really frank, <laughs> those 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 Republican Christian values, which, by the way, I used to live and die for myself personally, those Christian values don't include anything Jesus ever said. Like, you can't tie a quote of Jesus to really almost anything that the Republicans stand for, but yet it's called Christian. Um, and only Christian because we told you it's Christian.
1: Like what, for um, instance?
0: Well, like Jesus never said anything about abortion. Jesus never said anything about gay marriage. But you would you would think that those are the two most important things that, that Christians should ever care about, you know, if you're a, if you're an American Republican.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and you also have well, this will lead me into the next point with so you'll also have, you know, you get stuff like uh not, I don't want to make this something bigger than it is, but you'll have uh judge, you know, more and when he was yep. a judge, you know, he's he's not taking the Ten Commandments off of the wall. There, those are up there, and I and I find Christians tend to lean more towards the Ten Commandments as opposed to the Sermon on the Mound and love no. your neighbor and and I don't know. It 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 doesn't make sense in my head how you can. It doesn't seem very loving at all.
0: No, no, and I, yeah, I talk about that in the book as well because. That's something that it took me a while to figure it out. I, I, you're exactly right. You know, that that the, the the brand and flavor of Christianity that we're talking about is much more Old Testament than it is New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still called Christian, but it's not really Christ-like. It's really much more Moses-like. Um, and then that's, so chapter two of my book, that's why I started off the book really Identifying sort of this flat Bible perspective. Really, that's the only way you can justify this kind of stuff we're talking about. You have to make uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament equal. And actually, really, in practice, it's not equal. If we're really honest, in practice, the Old Testament really does supersede Jesus. Um, So the Ten Commandments really are the way we're supposed to live our life, not the Sermon on the Mount
1: yeah well the the Old Testament is so much more aggressive or not aggressive that's a that's a poor word so much more forceful and Jesus is more i don't know graceful yeah that's a good word graceful and, yeah. And, and, yeah i mean yeah. he he's, he challenges you but in a way that you challenge yourself by having to think through what he's telling you so um
0: yeah well this is yeah this is the reason why um by following that train of thought we are We are slowly heading towards a theocracy, which looks like an Old Testament model of right I mean that the Old Testament was a theocracy, yeah, and so when you start modeling your Christianity on the Old Testament and on a on this Moses sort of legal law you know law of God kind of a thing, um now we're back under the law again, and we're trying to basically create a theocracy again um but I don't think that is what Jesus was about, that's not what he was coming to do in fact it's this whole Ah, uh, there's there's also something else I talk about in the book about how, and, and it it blew my mind. Um, there, there's a discussion, and I actually picked it up from another book I was reading. It was talking about uh, pre-Christian societies, right? That that Christ Christ is able to sort of um, escape that sort of legalistic worldview that that we see in the Old Testament, that theocracy worldview. Um, and But people in his day weren't able to see it. You know, that's why they asked him this question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Because honestly, they didn't understand. There was no answer to them. They thought this, of course, will stump Jesus because if you say, yes, we should pay taxes, well, that means you're on the side of the Romans. But if you say we shouldn't pay taxes, well, that means you're on the side of the uh, the insurrectionists and the and the rebels and the zealots saying we should overthrow them. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's, it just blows their minds. Like, wait a minute, what? You know, uh, but he draws the line between uh, what I would say between faith and politics, right? That there are things, the things of God and there are the things of men. And, and part of their problem was they had entangled these things so much together, they couldn't separate them. Um That what, what we were called to do, like the early Christians had this sort of two kingdoms perspective. And in their minds, they were preaching another king. It says this in Acts, right? They were preaching another king whose name was Jesus. They went to their deaths because they refused to say that Caesar was Lord. Uh, they were tortured to death and skinned alive and burned alive and crucified upside down. Uh, boiled you know boiled and all that stuff uh because they they refused to say that that Caesar was lord and they said we have no king but Jesus um and and I would love for Christians today to take that same attitude to say we have no leader we have no king we have no president but Jesus
1: hmm. how else see so, so you, you touched on the on early Christians so how else did early Christians not necessarily well, maybe maybe they did. This is this is where I'm getting out of my field. How did they protect themselves against, for lack of a better word, the allure of power that politics gives you? Because everyone's only going to one for one term, I promise. And then I'll quit. And then they never do 80 years later. So how did they right. how how do, how did they, I guess, insulate themselves or, or safeguard themselves as a, as a church against that that pull on the heart of of the power that's in politics and the money that comes with yeah. it?
0: Well, the early Christians—I'm talking before pre-Constantine—because uh, that's where we got entangled with the empire. So before that, the, the way they avoided it was to just have a very hardline attitude. That I mean, and and I there's quotes of these in the book where you know early Christian teachers and leaders, uh, first century, second century, took a took an attitude of, and and again, these quotes are in the book. Like, if anyone comes to Christ uh, and wants to you know, sit at the table and share the agape feast and share the communion, what we would call communion or fellowship with brothers and sisters, but they don't renounce. If they're, if they're in the military, they don't renounce their military station. If they're in the, if they're in government, they don't like walk away from that and quit those jobs immediately. They're not allowed. They're not even considered brothers. And so they just took a very look like here's the kingdom of God and that's the kingdom of the world. And you cannot, be a part of both you know nowadays we think that that's totally possible we think well there's no problem with that but they they uh, they had a very black and white view of it and so uh, in fact there's another quote uh, i wish i had it in front of me i'm sorry i don't have the book in front of me but there's there's a quote i love um and it might be tertullian but i think he says something like um he says you know we don't he, he's actually giving it a, a, a response to to a pagan He's there writing, they're, they're corresponding, and he's, he's, um, he's responding to this pagan guy, and he says, you know, it's not because we don't care about duty, civic duty, that, that we don't uh, involve ourselves in political things. He says, uh, it's, because, it's just simply that because we realize there's a duty that's more important, which is the kingdom of God. And so, for example, he says, if we have someone among us who shows wisdom and insight, and 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 as someone that is even difficult, who's reluctant to step into a place of leadership, right, because they're so humble, but, but yet they're so capable, um, why would we hand them over to Rome? Why would we let them suddenly become a, a great leader for the Roman Empire? No, 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 no. We want that guy to serve the kingdom of God. So, you know, that's why we're not involving ourselves in politics. We're not interested in building up Rome and seeing Rome become some bigger stronger more powerful empire we're building up the kingdom of god and and in our minds one day the kingdom of god is going to uh, outlast all the kingdoms of this world which means rome is just headed to the to the dump i mm-hmm. mean one one way or the other rome is going to end and and the american empire is going to end as well like every other empire before it and so we're not why invest in something that's just just going to blow up anyway and fall apart anyway and now it doesn't mean we don't care about people we, we love our neighbors. We, we're not saying we don't care what happens to people, but again, uh, the way we, the way we engage with people is one-on-one, right? If -hmm. someone's hungry, we feed them. If someone's oppressed, we stand with them. If someone's being abused, we stand between the, the abuser and the victim. And and so it's not doing nothing. It's just saying, we're not going to, we don't believe that using politics is the best way to address those problems. It's not, it, we're not saying we don't care about justice. We do care about justice very much and we will do something about it, but we just don't think that voting our guy into into some place of power in the empire is the way to solve that problem.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it never seems to, nothing ever seems to get solved. And and that's, that's a talking point in every election, at least that, right. I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties, but every election I've been a part of that is the talking point in all of them. So I want to flip the question on its head, and and I also want to make sure that I clarify. I mean, let me clarify first. So we've been talking a lot about conservatives, but I, I'm ass- I'm assuming that you know Democrats, libertarians, socialists, and whatnot. They also have those what you would call red button issues, like what you talked about for conservatives for you know abortion or LGBTQ yep. or gay marriage. Um, and so, and so why? I guess I guess why do you talk more about conservatives
0: than the others? A great question. Because I used to be one. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like uh, I don't talk a lot about Thailand because I've never been there. Uh, But I have been. I was born and raised in Texas and Mm -hmm. grew up in the Republican Party. And like I said, I was I was NRA Rush Limbaugh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, straight ticket Republican my whole life. And um, and so I talk about that because that's what I know very, very well. Yeah, I I don't I I wasn't raised uh, as a Democrat or liberal. Uh, I'm not as acquainted with it now, but I agree with you. I totally agree with you that this problem that I'm describing. um, uh, I'm much more aware of it and I am and I'm I'm quicker to point out how uh, this entanglement uh, manifests in the Republican kind of conservative world. Uh, again, just because that's what I'm most familiar with. But before I before I got on the call with you for this interview, I just did an interview with a guy uh, where he was very entangled, and he's a complete progressive liberal. Really? And and he he yes, and he was pushing back just as hard as anyone else about how can you say this? Christians have to be involved with with justice and politics, and we how we if we don't. He, here's what he said: if we if Christians don't involve ourselves. Uh, with with the, uh, you know, the liberal politics, then we're just st- sitting back and letting all these Republican, conservative agenda, you know, rule the day. And uh, so he just said the exact same thing, you know. yeah like um, But you're right. You know, people like, I love these guys. I love Shane Claiborne. Uh, I love Tony Campolo. Uh, I love, um, oh, I just lost his name. Uh, the guy who started Sojourners. Uh, Jim Wallace. Mm-hmm. I love those guys. I really do. I love I love their heart. I love that they care about the poor. I love that they care about issues of justice. But to them, exactly what I'm saying to conservatives, I think once you cross that line into let's now vote for vote for Bernie, vote for Hillary, vote for you, you've you've done you made the same mistake that that Republicans did when they said, therefore vote for Reagan and or therefore vote for George W. Bush. Um Because historically, those things don't pan out. You know, uh, whenever we mix faith and politics, you know, when you mix when you mix faith and politics, you get politics. Um, you you don't really end up with anything that's any good for Christianity. Yeah. But you know, but so basically, it's about we're being manipulated, by the left or by the right. uh, The church gets manipulated. We get all fired up over whatever the issue is to vote this way or that way. And at the end of the day, we don't get what we want. I talk about this in the book. It's I call it this this, this uh, shiny red button, right? And there's a shiny red button for Republicans, and there's a shiny red button for Democrats, right? For for Republicans, the shiny red button is abortion. And, and they will always, and I guess, until they find another one, you know, here's the thing. It keeps working. It works election after election after election. Vote for me because I'm pro-life. Okay, yay, we'll vote for you. Well, then we, we voted for you, and now you're president. And oh, and we have a Republican majority in Congress for you know many, many terms through through Reagan, through George Bush. And what did you do to overturn Roe versus Wade? Not a thing. And guess what? Why would you? Because once you eliminate that, that red button doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And now I can't, I can't get you guys excited to vote for me. But but again, Democrats do the same thing. They'll try to get, you know, Christians, liberal Christians, excited about caring for the poor. Uh, I'm sorry, we still have a whole lot of poverty, right? And they haven't, they've not done politically anything to solve that problem either. So, again, I, that's why I think we should just opt out of this game. It's just a game. Uh, yeah. It's not, and it's not a way to advance the kingdom. And, and it ends up uh, obscuring the gospel and Jesus gets lost in all of that.
1: Yeah. I find it odd that that both of those red buttons that you just said, they're the same, they're the head and the tails of the same coin. So I'm only pro-life right until birth. But then after that, if his mom is on food stamps, nope, I'm not pro-life anymore. <laughs> nope. and, right. and, and the liberals, no, 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 no. I'm pro-choice all the way. But after birth, by God, give that child some food, give the mom some money to give that child some food. And they're, right. they're bickering about the same life, but they don't yeah. seem to they don't seem to care about the life at different stages of its life. So, right. um, which I've told some friends of mine, and they get angry, rightfully angry. Um, yes, and that's and that's fine. So, so to flip that all of that on its head and take it less personal. So, if if and you'll hear well, Fox News specifically, but many people say, um, you know, we are a Christian nation. We're founded on Christian values and whatnot. So, if 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 Christians should be less political, what does that then mean for our government? to quote-unquote present that Christian face or to be the, the peacemakers of the world or whatever? How should our government approach Christ?
0: Well, it's kind of like this. I kind of feel the same way about when I see someone on the freeway driving like a maniac, cutting people off and flipping them off, but they have an I Love Jesus bumper sticker. <laughs> um, I think that guy should take that bumper sticker off his car and stop telling everybody he stands for Jesus if he's going to behave that way. Uh, I, I think the same way about governments. There has never been a Christian government. There has never been a government or a nation on this planet ever founded on the principles of Jesus or the Sermon on the Mount, including America. Uh, you could I, I invite anybody to take a highlighter and the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. And every time you see something that is a quote from Jesus— or something that comes directly from the mouth of Jesus, or from the teachings of Jesus, uh, go ahead and highlight it. And I'll promise you, when you get to the end of it, you will not have made a mark on either of those documents. Because we are not a nation founded on the teachings of Christ. We never pretended to be. We were, uh, the argument is that, well, the founding fathers were all Christians. Well, I don't even think that's true, but let's just pretend that is true. Okay, great. Every one of the founding fathers were were just as Christian as you and me and Billy Graham. But you know what those founding fathers, those so, quote-unquote Christian founding fathers did? They very, very intentionally founded a nation that was not Christian. A nation that was, that again, the name Jesus doesn't appear anywhere. Uh, they passed laws that said there was no t- test of faith before you could hold office. Um, they passed laws that allowed for the freedom of any and all or no religion um so that's the government they built they built a very non you know christian government um and uh, i think that's a good idea i don't think governments should try to represent christ um i think christ is capable of representing his own government and again that's the kingdom of god so um yeah i i, I don't think america is a christian nation i don't think we've ever done anything that was ever like christ and and again i would challenge anybody who says that america is a christian nation show me at what point we behave like christ was it when we was it when uh, puritans and quakers uh executed each other because they did you know quakers killed uh you know back and forth puritans and quakers uh, executed each other hung each other uh because they were preaching the gospel to one another or not or preaching without a license or whatever um you know the way we treated the Native Americans was that Christ-like. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, on and on. I mean, we we've never reflected the heart and the character of Christ as a nation. And again, I don't think anyone ever could until Jesus is actually the King.
1: Yeah. No, that's that's good. Yeah, I th- I've read it. I might have heard you say it. I'm sure I've read it somewhere. I'm I'm certain I've read it somewhere. And and I'm going to say it wrong. There's a quote from Dallas Willard, who's who's written more than I'll ever read. Um, something about you know politics is 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 not the best force or 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 reason for changing a culture it's gonna require jesus and and the gospel to change of people right and then i've heard it echoed again in in a book i just finished reading um called stranger god where uh richard the author quotes uh it's not Jesse Jackson, but it's another person, and I, the name escapes me. A, a civil rights attorney that's basically said, you know, we've changed all the laws, but we didn't change anybody's hearts, and so we haven't changed right. anything. Um, right? Yeah, and it's 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 just got to be Jesus. So yes, um, I have just one one follow up question, and then I want to want to ask you a few a few just a few ending remarks. So, what is the yeah. one thing as a as a church? And for people, for pastors, for, for conservatives, for non-conservatives, for, for anyone that's listening to this, what is one or, or two things that we can do that would be a good first step, however hard it may be, to, to push the church towards a more loving, Christ-like, Christ-centered vision in your mind?
0: Yeah, well, I think that's a great question, man. I don't think there's a a quick and easy answer to that. I think in the context of what we're talking about, I think, I think Christians really have to break out of this tribal mentality. This is part of why I'm trying to help Christians, um, untangle their faith from their politics, because I think as long as you, as long as you continue to see yourself as, well, I'm a conservative and they're liberals. Um, you know, like, to say, how, how do we achieve unity with those liberals? Well, to start with, start stop calling yourself conservative and stop calling them liberal, and just see all of you as family. You're you're all just Christians, you know. Um, because this tribalism is what divides us. There's a, once once you identify yourself as a member of a tribe, meaning I'm a Christian or I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal or I'm a whatever. Then those people over there, all you can do in tribalism, it it, it forces you to, um, you make your tribe look better by pointing out all the ways that other tribe is wrong or bad. Mm -hmm. You demonize them to the point that anything you say or do against them is justified because, well, look how bad they are. I mean, look how evil they are. Um, And again, so I think you just have to say, look, I'm not, I would even go as far as this. Not even just to say i'm not a I'm not a Republican or i'm not a I'm not a Democrat," I would even encourage you to say "I'm not a Baptist, I'm not a Methodist, I'm not a Lutheran, I'm not an episcopal, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus I mean, as an example, hopefully you've had this experience I, I've had this quite often and it's been real beautiful. You could just be at the airport, grocery store doctor's waiting room, and you just meet some stranger and you instantly feel like a connection to this person. And the more you talk with them, you, you have this thought, I bet they're a Christian. And eventually one of you will say something or maybe just flat out ask and they'll say, yeah, I'm, oh yeah. Oh, awesome. And you have this beautiful connection with this brother or sister in Christ. And you feel like you've known him your whole life, right? It's this beautiful connection. And, and so that's where we we've got to get back to that kind of a connection mm-hmm. uh, and recognize we're just Christians now, because here's the problem there's actually a uh, emo Phillips' this comedian has a little joke about this where uh, these two people meet and uh, oh you're you're a Christian so am I uh you're a Baptist oh me too uh Southern or northern I'm southern oh so am I are you Southern Baptist blah 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 you know or oh mm. and then they, they finally find a point where they disagree and the guy goes the other guy says the other guy oh you're a heretic <laughs> um but it's like If we just get rid of all these labels and get rid of all this tribalism and just simply come come down to, like Paul says in Corinthians, I'm not of Apollos, I'm not of Peter, I'm not of Paul. We're all of Christ. It's got to start there. And I think until we do that, we're never going to have any unity and we're never going to really be able to focus on just seeing people as people. You know, we have to see ourselves that way first before we can see anybody else that way.
1: Yeah. No, that's good. That's... I think that's a good parting thought. Um, well, I did want to I did want to say a few things. So I have greatly enjoyed um, following you on Facebook, and I would encourage anyone that that doesn't to do so. Uh, you'll find few authors that are so willing to engage with with the people that that are reading their work, um, and I've enjoyed your openness and transparency on that. And so uh, just a quick follow-up question. What's some ways that people can, besides, you know, or, 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 plug Facebook, how, how they can get involved, get in touch with you, converse with you. And then uh, my next question is, will there be a follow-up book? Cause there, there's a lot left to be said about untangling Jesus from America. Is um, it, is there, is there oh, yeah. what are you, what are you working on now that we can look forward to?
0: Yeah. Well, um, uh, to answer the question, yeah, I'm on Facebook. So, yeah, follow me on Facebook or I'm on Twitter also. Uh, my blog is just my name, KeithGiles.com, and that's now moved over to, to Pathos or Theos, however you say it. So I've got a new blog running over there, just KeithGiles.com. I'm also doing a podcast I've been doing now for a couple of months with uh, two other authors, um, and that's called The Heretic Happy Hour. That's a lot of – it's a blast. We have a lot of fun doing that. And um so that, those are just some ways you can, you know, if you if you're interested in asking more questions or following some of the stuff I've been doing. Because, yeah, um I do have a follow up book. I'm about I'm already 85 pages into it. Uh it is a direct follow up book to Jesus Untangled. Um what I realized is is that <laughs> I was hoping that my book was going to and it and it has, I mean, I've seen some positive impact, but You know the church in America is probably, unfortunately, even more entangled now than it was when the when I published it back in January. Um, So yeah, I do have a follow up book coming. uh, I don't know when. Hopefully, sometime early 2018, mid 2018. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, uh, hopefully that'll be coming soon.
1: Yeah, and you have an event um, for any listening, I believe, in Alabama coming up soon in in a few months. Correct.
0: Yes. uh, Thank you. I have an event in March with. Me and Brad Jurzak, who's another author I really love and admire. And I honestly, man, I can't believe I'm how did I end up on this bill? I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, somehow I and Brad Jurzak are doing this event called the Grace and Peace Summit in Birmingham, Alabama, March 9th and 10th. And then I'm also on uh, on the 11th. I'll also be after the event on the 11th Sunday morning. I'll be speaking at a church there as well uh, in Birmingham. So that's going to be an amazing opportunity. Um, I'm just excited about doing something in Birmingham. You mentioned Al Moore. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where Al Moore's from. And um, the whole point of this conference is how do we learn to love people that are not like us, right? So uh, we'll, we'll talk about how to love people that aren't like us politically, uh, socially, culturally, religiously, uh, et cetera. Just how do we love our neighbor? How do we love our brother? How do we love our enemy? And uh, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that
1: fantastic well again i would ask people buy the book it's fantastic book uh, and i'm sure you can get it on amazon barnes and noble yeah everywhere books are sold so well keith thank you for your evening uh i i've enjoyed it very much so i i I could i could probably continue to talk for quite some time but we'll we'll end it there um and i'd love to have you back on later if there's if there's something that that makes sense so
0: yeah yeah absolutely that sounds great man
1: Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I would encourage, I would ask for your feedback. Please email us at canisaythisatchurch at gmail.com. Interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Your feedback only helps to make the show better. If you have liked in any way or if you engaged in any way with any of the the podcast episodes that you've heard so far, please consider going to our Patreon page. You can find that at canisaythisatchurch.com. There's a big, huge button up there. Your donations help so much. You are listening to the executive producer, editor, scheduler, emailer, uh, and I will continue to do this podcast as long as I'm able. I greatly enjoy it, and your help will ensure that we can continue to have these open, honest conversations, uh, talking with people that are educated about those topics, so please consider that like us on Facebook. There is a Facebook group that you can interact with and have conversations with other people that listen like yourselves. It is a fantastic group. So look forward to talking with you there and we will see you in the next episode.